Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around him, and the impact he empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Well, good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for joining with us. My name's Andy. I'm part of the pastoral team here at BCV. And this morning, I want to start us on a new sermon series where we preach all the way through the Gospel of Mark. And we as a church often take whole books of the Bible and work through them together over time. We love doing that. So we're going to be in Mark's Gospel for a while. And I'm going to give us an intro to Mark's Gospel next week, actually. But today, I wanted to take some time and talk about what is a gospel? What even is a gospel? What kind of of writing is it? What are the gospels meant to do? And what are they trying to tell us? So uh, I'm really excited to do this talk. It's not just, believe it or not, for the Bible geeks like me. Uh, I'm really hoping and praying this sets us up well for our study in the Gospel of Mark, because if we're going to think deeply about Mark's Gospel, and if we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us through it over our time in it, we should probably understand a bit about what a Gospel even is. And these days, with the click of a mouse or flying into your social media feed, you can find lots of viewpoints that look to discredit the Bible, and certainly the Gospels, and things that say, you know, the Gospels were written way after the time of Jesus, and they've embellished things, and they've made up stories to make Jesus into something he never claimed he was. Uh, You can find really quickly on the internet that Gospels are full of contradictions and can't be trusted. Understanding what a Gospel actually is really helps us with these important questions and can give us a real confidence in the Gospels that they do reveal to us the story of Jesus as told by eyewitnesses who were there and that we can trust what they say and the God that they reveal to us. Today we're not going to cover everything and we're not going to answer every question. We're not going to correct every apparent contradiction in the Gospels, but I hope to point you towards resources for further study if you wish to go on a deep dive there. And I'm hoping today really helps us understand what a Gospel is, why we should read them over and over again, and help us get the most of our time in Mark. So, well, what is a gospel? Well, firstly, we need to understand that a gospel is an announcement of good news. It's an announcement of good news. The word gospel in English comes from the old English good spell, or we would probably say glad tidings, something like that. The Greek word for gospel, so the New Testament was written in Greek, so the Greek word for gospel is this word right here on the screen. It's euangelion, that's how you pronounce that, and the eu or ou uh, means good, and then the rest of the word there is angelos, where we get our word angel, and it simply means messenger. So it's a good message or for good messenger. And, and an euangelion was, no, it was a known and a common word before, during, and after the life of Jesus. And it was known as this announcement of good news, like a royal announcement or a proclamation. It wasn't a religious word. It was more a political or royal word about an announcement, like a great athletic competition was held and the person from your town won it, or a great battle was fought and our side had victory, or an edict from a Caesar or something like that was an euangelion, an announcement of good news. 
there's this famous stone that you can see a picture of here. Uh, it was discovered in Western Turkey, and it's called the Calendar Inscription of Priene. And uh, I, th I know you said, Andy, this wasn't going to be a geeky sermon, but just go with, go with me on this. So on this stone inscription, uh, what this thing is, is it's announcing that the calendar for the empire, uh, now it, it's changing. It's an announcement that the calendar's changing. Uh, and it now begins with the birth of Octavian, or some of us know him as Augustus Caesar. So it's this celebration of the emperor, and he's such an amazing emperor who's done so many good things. The royal announcement is the, the reckoning of time. Our calendars are now based on his birth. And you can see written on the stone there, it's called an euangelion, a royal proclamation of good news. Pay attention, here's an announcement that affects your life. Uh, anyway, so you can see that in ancient history. And the four books in the Bible, the documents we have on our Bible that we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are called Gospels because they are announcements or proclamations of the good news about Jesus. They're also royal proclamations because we believe that they are. Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. They're not advice. They're announcements that you must reckon with. They're written in Greek uh, and Mark was written first and then Matthew and Luke followed quickly after. Matthew and Luke both knew th that Mark's gospel existed and they used it a bit as sources. So these three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have some differences, but they're also very, very similar, and they contain lots of the same content. They're called the synoptic Gospels, from the Greek word synoptikos, seen meaning one or the same, and optikos uh, means seeing, or we see the same, see it the same way. The Gospel of John is arranged really differently. It was the last Gospel written, and so it's a little bit different. And uh, so there, these Gospels are announcements of good news. They are announcements of good news, but they're also ancient historical biographies. Ancient historical biographies. They're historical in that they talk about someone who actually lived, and they're biographies in the sense that they give an account of that person's life, accomplishments, death, and in the case of Jesus, of course, his resurrection. They're accurate historical documents. There's a Bible scholar called Bart Airman, and uh, he says this about uh, the Gospels, and uh, I'm including this as a really important quote for us because Bart Ehrman is a very accomplished scholar, uh, but he would not claim to be a follower of Jesus. So he's very interested in the world of the Gospels and biblical scholarship, but he would have a very different viewpoint uh, than we who are trying to follow Jesus about these things. So it's important. This is, the, this is not a person with an agenda for faith in Jesus. This is someone who actually has an agenda not for faith in Jesus. But listen to what he says about the Gospels. He says, The oldest and best sources we have for knowing about the life of Jesus are the four Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is not simply the view of Christian historians who have a high opinion of the New Testament and its historical worth. It is the view of all serious historians of antiquity of every kind, from committed evangelical Christians to hardcore atheists. This is someone who has uh, the opposite viewpoint of many of us uh, in terms of faith in Jesus, but even he is saying these are the oldest and these are the best sources that we have for knowing about the life of Jesus.
They share lots of similarities with many uh, ancient biographies of other people that we have and we can study. And the key word for us here is ancient. Ancient biographies of historical figures were different than what we would know of a biography. Uh, and ancient readers would have expected some of the similar things that we expect from a biography written today, but they also would have expected and wanted different things to what we would. So if you read a biography today, you want it to first be true, right? You want it to be accurate. Second, you probably want it in order. You know, so if you were to read a biography about Winston Churchill, for example, you would expect to start with his family of origin, his birth, and then his death and his legacy with all of his accomplishments in order in all of that there. Third, you would hope and that it would be interesting and well-written. Uh, you know, the best biographies aren't he did this, then he did that, then she did this, then she did that, and, you know, plodding along. Uh, we want the authors to tell us the story of a person with a bit of flair and to keep us interested. And we also expect, whether we realize it or not, we expect some parts to be left out. Like, if you read a biography of someone famous, it's not an account of every single minute of every day of their life. Uh, you know, some things do have to be left out, or some things we really put a lot of emphasis on, and other things we just mention a little bit, and choices have to be made. Well, ancient biographies are really similar to that, but they're also a little bit different. People reading ancient biography expected them to be true to historical events, especially those written within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses, when that could be fact-checked. Uh, they also expected some parts to be left out. You know, you can't talk about everything. Uh, where they start to differ is the ancient biography allowed for a lot more flexibility in how the story was arranged and presented, and they allowed for greater flair in its construction. So, for example, when we read the four Gospels and see that they have, at times have different order to what happened when, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke versus John, it's just not always in the same chronological order. That wouldn't have been a problem for ancient biography. It's weird to us, and for some people that's even caused us to lose our faith, but that's us reading ancient biography perhaps with modern eyes. Also, all of the Gospels contain the core elements of Jesus' life, but some leave out episodes that others include. For example, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have lots of parables, and John has none. Also, ancient biography had room for authors to reveal things in how they constructed their narratives. For example, we're going to see this as we study the Gospel of Mark, that the way Mark structures his Gospel uh, points us to certain things, like what he wants us to see and believe about Jesus, what following Jesus is like, who his main sources were that he talked to to get information about Jesus, and more. Uh, we, we may be frustrated by reading the Gospels with our modern eyes and worldview. That might be a little bit challenging and difficult to us, but we need to accept the Bible that we have and not the Bible that we think we want or deserve. There's a Bible scholar called Dan Kimball, and he wrote a book called How Not to Read the Bible. And uh, if you have questions about the Bible and how to read the Bible, I really recommend this book to you. And he puts it like this. He says, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. And we have to remember that. The Bible was written for us, but not to us. So what does he mean by that? And what do we mean by that? Well, we meet with God in the Bible and we grow by reading and studying the Bible. That's all true. Uh, it reveals truth to us. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It has wisdom and help for us right now and points us to Jesus. That's all true. So in that sense, it was written for us. It is for us. It has all those things and more for us right here, right now. But it wasn't written to us. 
the different books in the Bible were written to people in an ancient time period in their own languages who were in a specific place and context and who had specific ways of living in and seeing the world that is very different to our way of seeing the world at times. And so in that sense, it wasn't written to us, it was written to them. The books need to be written to those in that context. So we have to be willing to let the Gospels and every single book of our Bible be what they are. And if we're struggling, if you're struggling with the Bible and you've got lots of questions, or if you're new to the Bible, uh, this again is one of the books I recommend to you. So the Gospels are ancient historical biography, but they're also a unique genre of biblical literature. In other words, they make real claims about who Jesus is and the implications of his life, death, and resurrection. So they're not just a historical account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They have an agenda, and they're unashamed in having an agenda. Okay? And so when people have a complaint about the Gospels, that it has an agenda, they're completely right. The Gospels, that's part of the type of literature that they actually are. They are trying to persuade you of something, and they make no apology for wanting you to believe in Jesus and find life in his name. In fact, in John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he writes this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he just writes it right in there. This is my agenda for writing the gospel, this gospel, my gospel. And uh, our friends at the Bible Project say this really helpful quote to help us grasp this. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project says, The gospels are carefully designed theological biographies of Jesus of Nazareth. They are not merely historical records. They are designed to advance a claim that will challenge the reader's thinking and behavior. The claim is that the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah of Israel and the true Lord of the world. They exist because the authors believe every single person needs to reckon with what happened in the story of Jesus and the reader will be forced to make a decision about him after reading the Gospels. I love that. Christians have believed this since the Gospels were written, that they want you to believe in Jesus. Christians also believe that they are the Word of God to us, that the Spirit of God has breathed on and woven these together in partnership with the human authors and compilers. They are accounts that tell us about Jesus and draw us to Jesus. They help us hear from Jesus and meet with Him and follow him. So the Gospels are not just accounts of the life of Jesus from centuries after, you know, people writing hundreds of years after and putting in, you know, legendary stories to make Jesus look better. They're also based on eyewitness accounts. This is really important because lots of biblical scholarship uh, has been hostile to faith. Uh, And they would, it would have said that, um, the, you know, they would have painted a picture of the Gospels as being written down you know, really late after Jesus' resurrection and certainly well after the death of the Apostles. And again, it's people writing centuries after that have an agenda, that want to build this thing called the church, so they write things back in so that everybody believes and they control power. And uh, they would have contended that the Gospels were the result of an oral tradition that was elaborated on and then mythologized mythologized and, you know, the things like the miracles were included. So basically, you know, lots of biblical scholarship would have said that the 
the, the basically they're inconsistent, loosely historical documents with lots of fanciful stuff in there to make claims about Jesus that he never made for himself. But in the last number of decades in particular, scholars of all shapes and descriptions, not just ones who love Jesus, um, scholars are shifting pretty radically on that narrative I just outlined for you. Uh, they're looking at them now more as we can be very confident the Gospels are actually eyewitness testimony to the life, teachings, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Instead of them being put together after a long period of time uh, from this loose oral tradition with some miracles and deliverances and resurrections scattered in there, that we have powerful evidence now of the Gospels being written from eyewitness testimony and written down much closer to the actual events than previously thought. And for a few decades between Jesus' resurrection and then the writing down of the Gospels, these eyewitnesses told the stories of what they saw and what happened to them and what they saw Jesus do over and over in small Christian communities. Uh, Tim Keller, a pastor and Christian thinker, uh, explains it far better than I could ex ever explain it. He writes, For decades after Jesus' death and resurrection, the people who were healed by Jesus, like the paralytic who was lowered through the roof, the person who carried the cross for Jesus, Simon of Cyrene, the woman who watched Jesus being placed in the tomb, like Mary Magdalene, and the disciples who had followed Jesus, like Peter and John, all of these participants in the life of Jesus continually and publicly repeated these incidents in great detail. For decades, these eyewitnesses told the stories of what happened to them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote down these accounts, and so we have the Gospels. They are eyewitness accounts written while people uh, were still alive and who could contradict any embellishments. You see this in Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Uh, Luke wasn't one of the original uh, 12 disciples of Jesus. Um, he was a doctor turned historian uh, and he wrote his gospel account of the life of Jesus and then he wrote the book of Acts as well. And he tells us in the start of his gospel how he got his information for it. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So this Theophilus commissioned this Luke to write down a gospel. Theophilus paid for it, writing in the ancient world. It was very, very expensive, so you needed like a rich benefactor to do that for you. And Luke tells you right there how he got it. He talked to the eyewitnesses, and he says this interesting phrase, servants of the word. And that's how he got the information to write Luke and Acts. And these servants of the word were these guarantors of the tra Jesus tradition who were eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus. And their role after the resurrection was to help lead the church, but also to go around into this, these new fledgling outposts of this thing called the church gathered around the risen Jesus and to tell their story over and over and over again. Who is Jesus? What did he do? What did we see him do? And the resurrection is true. That was their mission and witness. And 
they only started to write these things down as the eyewitnesses started to die and um, they needed to preserve the tradition. So these servants of the word and eyewitnesses are very, very important. And the Apostle Paul is referring to this kind of transmission of the gospel story in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 to 8. I'm going to read it for you and then just kind of pick a few of these things out quickly. He writes, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Okay? After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. He tells us that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, right, that he died for us, that it's all the fulfillment of the Old Testament prom promise. He kept saying, according to the scriptures, that's what he means by that, that Jesus rose again. And then he begins to list all the witnesses, and he says, most of whom are still alive. In other words, you can go ask them, right? And he just keeps talking about I am passing on to you what I received from others. He's passing on true testimony to the Corinthians. You know, as the Gospels started to be written down within the lifetime of these people to preserve their accounts before they died. They're not vague and distant, hazy reflections or mythological embellishments. They're artistically and intentionally uh, creatively designed accounts that preserve the eyewitness element of it and they invite us to consider their claims. Um, I want you to let that encourage your faith. So they're eyewitness accounts. They're also unified but diverse accounts. They're diverse in that they constructed their works differently. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have similarities. They also have differences. They're writing to different audiences. They have different structures within their works themselves, each bringing out a, a slightly different theological point, or perhaps we should say viewing the core story of Jesus through a slightly different lens. So they are diverse, but they're also unified. All four Gospels make one basic claim about Jesus from four different points of view. The four Gospels all tell the same story. They are a unified statement about Jesus of Nazareth. They talk about his arrival, his ministry in Galilee, his conflict with religious leaders in Jerusalem, his death on a cross, and his resurrection. That's actually the summary outline of all four Gospels. Okay? They all tell us in different ways that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of the Old Testament. They all tell us that he came to usher in a new rule and reign of God. They all tell us about how his death pays for our sin and on the cross how he became King and Lord and they invite us to believe in him and to follow him. They also have remarkable similarities in geography, place names, people names. They describe Jewish and Roman culture of Jesus' day accurately and similarly. Another reason to trust them to be what they say that they are. They are reliable accounts of the life of Jesus. Irenaeus of Lyon, writing as early as AD 185, called it the fourfold gospel. 
not one gospel, a fourfold gospel. One story of the good news of Jesus, four parts, each of which are important. And the church has understood uh, the gospels that way ever since, that we can't understand the good news about Jesus without each of the gospels. Each are important. Each are breathed on by the Spirit as the authors wrote and compiled and structured their works. There are, it's a fourfold gospel that we have. And it's really, that's really interesting to me. And actually, it's a reason why I trust the Gospels more and more, is this, is that very quickly, uh, very early in the life of this thing called the church, as it's born at Pentecost, it's very early in its, in its history, these four documents became the trusted documents about the message of Jesus. Uh, 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 theologian and Bible scholar called Peter J. Williams writes this. He writes, by the early third century, the four four Gospels were held to be a special collection that belonged together. These four books were treated together as the best source for information about Jesus long before uh, any central city, group, or individual in Christianity possessed enough power to impose the collection on other people. Again, long before a powerful person or group or headquarters could decide what is our official story about Jesus to keep us in power or our point of view, the dominant view. A unified but diverse early church adopted these four Gospels. That tells me that they're trustworthy eyewitness testimony about Jesus. It tells me they were written by those who are with Jesus or by those who talked to those who were with Jesus. The Gospels are simple enough to read through quickly and to get the gist of it. They're part of the easiest and most exciting parts of the Bible to grasp and understand. That They're all about Jesus, uh, the most compelling person to ever walk the face of the earth. So they're simple enough to grasp and you can get into them quickly, right? So they're simple. But they're also complex. They're designed with intricate patterns that are pointing us to things. They're designed to be read over and over and over again and meditated on and internalized and to help us think through things over and over again to see things and to just deeply focus on as we follow, love, and serve Jesus and grow in Him. So those are some of the things about what a gospel is. What, here's some things about what the gospels are not. The gospels aren't documentaries about the life of Jesus that we would like recognize from watching Netflix or BBC iPlayer or something like that. They're not detailed minute-by-minute video type accounts of Jesus' life in chronological order, okay? There's lots of things uh, about Jesus' life that were left out. Uh, There are lots of events compressed in time to focus on certain things. The, uh, The Gospels give extended time to Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection and leave out other chunks of his life and ministry. The writer's chose and edited what they presented based on what they want you to know. And just because they're not like a chronological order, documentary type thing, it doesn't make them untrue. So the Gospels aren't documentaries. They're also not detached from the Old Testament. Sometimes I hear people say, look, I don't really get the Old Testament. Really, really strange. But I read the New Testament. Jesus shows up. Okay, it's way simpler. I'm just going to go with that. I want to leave the Old Testament in dust. Well, bad plan. Bad plan. Because every page of the Gospels, uh, all four Gospels, contain direct quotes 
uh, or allusions to the Old Testament and how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament points us to. And if we're going to read the Gospels well and understand who Jesus is and embrace and understand everything about Jesus, we have to let the Gospels lead us back into the Old Testament as we read and study. So the Gospels also aren't a historical book like we would know or understand them to be. And we need to, again, understand that. And we need to let these four documents be what they are and approach them humbly and not bring our 21st century arrogance to them like we know so much more now and that people writing in the first century couldn't possibly construct something that was true, important, and life-changing for us, um, something that is sophisticated and intricate even, especially when breathed on by the Holy Spirit. And we just have to let them be what they are and we have to check some of our arrogance at the door. And then lastly, the Gospels are not proof. They're not proof. Now, that might be a sh pretty shocking statement for you to hear me say. So what do I mean by that? Well, the Gospels are ancient biographies of Jesus. They are eyewitness accounts that we can trust, that make real and powerful claims about Jesus, that force us to decide how are we going to respond. But they aren't magic books that in one reading prove it all and make every person respond by following Jesus. I can't take a skeptic to, you know, one line in the Gospel of Mark, for example, and have it be like magic proof for them. The Spirit of the living God draws us to faith in Jesus, often through reading the Scriptures, often through reading the Gospels. But we load them up with more weight than they can bear if we expect them to, you know, have a, to be the type of document where it's, like, oh, just read this and it just proves everything about Jesus no and not needing any room for the Spirit of God or faith. The Gospels present Jesus and his appearing as real and plausible and trustworthy. And then we must decide what we are going to do with these amazing documents and the message they communicate to us. And that's how they're designed. So they're not proof but they're documents that lead us to faith by telling us the gospel message about Jesus. So can I have confidence in these documents? Well, I believe that you can. I believe them to be true. I believe them to be the true account of the words and life of our Savior. I believe they are eyewitness accounts shaped and formed by the authors and the Holy Spirit within living memory of the events that they portray. I think a lot that I've tried to say about them hopefully help us see their authenticity, their plausibility, their trustworthiness, and deal with some of the main objections to them. But other things like contradictions and scribal errors and transmission and all that stuff, we didn't get a chance to talk through. For those who are interested in going deeper, I'm going to include a bunch of resources like books and podcasts on the Gospels and how the Old Testament and New Testament was pulled together uh, and much, much more in uh, I'm going to include it in our week, Tuesday weekly email. Um, if you don't ever open that or read that, uh, no judgment. It would be helpful if you did, but no judgment. Um, and you want that, just you can email andy at belfastcityvineyard.com and we can send that section out to you. Uh, but one resource I want to highlight is this one. It's a short uh, but detailed um, little book by a great UK biblical scholar I quoted earlier, Peter J. Williams. And he just wrote this little one called Can We Trust the Gospels. He's dedicated his life to studying the Bible and the Gospels, and I found it very, very helpful, and I think you might too. It's a short, short read, but very detailed, and you should start there, but I'll be sending out loads of resources that you can go further on 
as well. So why should I care about this? Why should I read the Gospels? Uh, is it only for Bible geeks and Andy? After, if you've made it to the end of this sermon, you probably are re concluding that yes, I am a Bible geek who really does like this stuff. So is it only for people like me? Well, I don't think so. I think it's for everyone. Uh, because reading the Gospels, reading the Bible, draws us closer to Jesus. And if we say we are following him, wouldn't we want to be drawn closer to Jesus? We get to read about him, uh, we get to read his words, we get to hear his voice, and we have the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us as well. Drawing us closer to learning about Jesus, having his words and his life impact us, his story impacting us. That's very powerful and very important to us. That's a, if we're serious about following him, why on earth wouldn't we want to read the Gospels? Also, if we're serious about following Jesus, we know that we're to proclaim his good news everywhere we go, we won't, and we won't do that if we aren't taking his story into our lives and hearts ourselves. If it's not in us, it's not going to be the message we live out and proclaim. I believe the Gospels and the Bible itself gives us wisdom and truth. And as the world around us grows ever more chaotic and desperate for transcendent wisdom that leads to life, we find it in the eternal word of God to us and particularly in the Gospels. And we can bring the words of Jesus to our hungry hearts. We can bring the words of Jesus to others uh, to remind and revive and encourage one another. We can bring the Gospel message about Jesus that we find in the Gospels, we can bring it everywhere we go, we can apply Jesus to every problem, every broken place, and every life that we encounter that is looking for hope and wisdom and transformation. I think the Gospels are important for us to read in this moment in time when the world is telling you and it's telling me that we are our own gods, we no longer need God. Uh, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self is the title of a popular book right now. Uh, but it basically says we have been told to put the self at the center, ourselves at the center. And Jesus and his life and teachings and his cross and resurrection confront all of that. And it challenges us to tear down our idols and allow Jesus to be enthroned and crowned king of our lives. And in the Gospels, we don't just read about a person long ago. We're confronted with a decision about Jesus who is alive and well and ruling and reigning. What am I going to do about that? Am I going to believe in him? Am I going to trust him? Am I going to follow him? Am I going to allow him to shape and form and transform me? Or am I not going to do that? Who sits on the throne of my life? And when I immerse myself in the scriptures and especially the gospels, I am constantly confronted with my own sin and brokenness and shame. And it's hard to make me the center of the world. And I want to be very clear, the gospels do not shame us. The Gospels tell us where to go with our shame and brokenness and sin to find mercy and forgiveness and hope and cleansing and healing. And they invite me over and over again to turn to and follow Jesus and to pick up my own cross and walk behind him. The Gospels are announcements to us. They're not advice. Uh, our friends again at the Bible Project say this, the reason these four Gospel accounts exist is because of the conviction that, the, that what happens with Jesus matters for all humanity and for the future of the cosmos itself. What are we going to do with the announcement that Jesus of Nazareth lived and died for us and was raised and is now Lord of heaven and earth right now and invites us to follow 
him? What if this is the most relevant information in the world? Because it saves us and transforms us and makes us part of God's family. But also if we put the wisdom and teaching of Jesus into practice in our lives and families and church and city, we and many others will radically flourish. We're all looking to build our lives around something or someone, whether we realize it or not. So why not Jesus? Why on earth would I read the Bible? Well, why on earth wouldn't I read the Bible? What if there's wisdom? What if there's purpose? What if there's revelation? What if there's hope? What if there's mercy there, particularly in the Gospels? What if there are answers? What if the risen Jesus is exactly who the Gospels say that he is, the risen Lord of the world? And what if he loves you with an everlasting love? What if he died for you? And what if he is available to you right now? Wouldn't you want to follow a king like Jesus? And what if the hunger in our hearts can be met in the Savior that the Gospels reveal to us? Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.